And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. We have an amazingly accomplished guest today, Dr. Zudi Jasser. Now you say, well, who is he? Well, let's just say he's perhaps the most important leader of reform in Islam in the United States of America. But he's not just that. He served in the military with the U.S. Navy for 11 years. And uh, during his service, he received the Meritorious Service Medal. He also served as chief of residence at Bethesda. Most importantly to you is that he's currently a candidate for Arizona's 4th Congressional District and is a proud son of Syrian political refugee immigrants and a Muslim, by the way. The man represents the, the, the best amongst us. He's the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, which is a counter-ideology, counter-terrorism, national security organization, along with co-founding the Muslim Reform Movement in 2015, which is a coalition of pro-liberty, anti-Islamist, Muslim reform-minded organizations based in the United States, Canada, and Europe. He's an amazing man. He practices medicine. He uh, is a cardiologist, by the way, and a very famous cardiologist and practices in nuclear cardiology. I can't wait to find out what that is. Amazing man. Joining us right now is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Michael Savage podcast. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink. North Korea on the brink. Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Dr. Jasser, what an honor it is to see you again. Likewise, Dr. Think, Savage. Weren't you on my radio show many years ago? I was a couple times, I think. In the in the yeah. 2015 era, something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you've exactly. aged you've aged well. I wish I could say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Jasser, I saw you on TV the other day and I said, Oh my God, he's amazing. And I remember that you led. You, you were leading and you still are leading a reformist movement within Islam. And we've for years have 
after the 9-11, there was a lot of talk about, you know, Christianity went through a reformation in the Middle Ages. Yes. Judaism went through a reformation amongst some. Unfortunately, they become such liberals. I wouldn't say that's a good model. But uh, <laughs> is there a reformist presence in Islam that is significant, Dr. Jasser? Yes, I, I truly believe so. And um, um, can go over all that with you. Absolutely. It's we don't have the Petro Islamic dollars behind us, but uh, they're on the streets of Iran and all over the world. But uh, it's still a minority for sure. Well, the most important part of your background, which is all of your background, which is amazing. And I read the whole background before you came, which is going to be the introduction. But you're currently a candidate for Arizona's fourth congressional district. And you are a proud son of Syrian political refugee immigrants. That's a hell of a resume. How is the polling doing in uh, the campaign in which you're running? Well, we just launched uh, three weeks ago, so we haven't done polling on me yet. But bottom line is, is it's a district that uh, has been D plus two, but was split 49-49 Biden-Trump. So it's definitely winnable. It's a uh, swing district. Huh. And uh, Stanton, Greg Stanton, who's been missing in action and has voted 100 percent with Biden, um, is definitely vulnerable. And uh, we think uh, with my background and uh, I've been here 25 years working in the community, one of the only docs to to speak out against the lockdowns and the mm-hmm. forced uh, treatments during the pandemic. So oh. um, I think we ha- we will, for the first time, give him a, a run for his money, for sure. You're running for Congress. You're busy. You're still yes. running your medical practice, correct? Yes. Yes, sir. I don't know how you do it all, truthfully. How many years were you, in the, you were in the Navy for how many years? 11 years, 11 years. Yep. I was uh, on a USS El Paso. And then I served as a physician to Congress um, during my last uh, two years in the Navy. What was the El Paso? What kind of ship was it? LKA 117. It was an amphibious cargo ship. Uh, I joined them in the Mediterranean on the way back from Operation Restore Hope. They were in Somalia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in 93, 94. So we see these horrible demonstrations around America that's actually shocking Americans. I keep saying, how did they get so many hijabs overnight, number one? And how did they have ready-made signs within two days? They went from uh, climate change is about to destroy the world. Now, before that, it was white supremacy is the greatest threat to humanity. Then it was climate change is going to destroy the world. And literally overnight, they were able to pivot to uh, from the mountain to the sea or from the river to the sea and i will be with thee but the jews won't be there how did they get so well organized who's behind these protests doctor well i think it's i think it's the same soros folks the uh answer answer coalition uh which was the coalition that had all the rallies against the iraq war and the uh, afghanistan war so it's it's that same coalition that just propped up and some of them are they think they're waving palestinian flags but it's actually italian flags they don't know what they're talking (laughs) oh god (laughs) i was wondering it looked familiar to me i've seen them in pizza joints across america I, I had no idea all the, all the guys who made that good pizza in Brooklyn were really with the PLO. Just crazy. I mean, do they even know what they're saying from the from the river to the sea? They want the Jews erased from the Middle East after. And did you read 
uh, Rashida Tlaib had a tweet uh, today in which she said, oh, it's an aspirational. It's not about getting rid of all of Israel. Her video that she posted was about River to the Sea. And uh, basically uh, in her tweet, she said, oh, it's not about wiping out Israel. It's just aspirational for peace and justice. Okay, uh-huh. yeah, it sounds I've like the Iranian before. propaganda. Yes, Iranian propaganda. So the movement shocked America. So many. They breached the White House fence, the outer perimeter, and no one was arrested. To me, that was an insurrection. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting how the left can get away with violence, can get away with destroying our cities, can get away with uh, things that uh, are basically labeled insurrection when the right does it. And yet they went into the Capitol, they went into uh, um uh, stop b- normal business uh, at the U.S. Capitol, and somehow, not only was it a invasion, uh, it was about supporting a terrorist organization. Which, you know, we've seen folks uh, that have been arrested and otherwise from, for example, the Holy Land Foundation board in 2008 was convicted after a second trial, but convicted, five of them were convicted for funneling money to Hamas. So here you have a terror organization that's openly being supported and uh, there's no accountability. Well, the most shocking was Obama, not shocking to me. People are shocked to hear basically he's trying to play the middle and he says uh, that uh, you can understand the the rage of the Palestinians. Of course, you can understand it. A lot of it's coming from the fact that they are uh, under occupation in some ways. I mean, let's be real about that. And they don't have all of the rights that Israelis have in Gaza, certainly have no rights. But they're really under the occupation of, of Hamas. Not every resident of, of Gaza, and correct me if I am mistaken, supports Hamas, but they're living through a reign of terror. They have to support Hamas, don't they? Well, this is what I've been calling for for uh, a decade now, since 2014, when Hamas uh, started a, another war at that at that time. And I said, listen, we need to have an Arab awakening within the Gaza Strip of Arabs and Muslims against the tyranny of Hamas, just like there was an Arab awakening against the Brotherhood in Egypt after uh, they controlled Egypt for 18 months. And there was an awakening against the Brotherhood in Tunisia and the Islamists in Iran now. Uh, Where's the Arab awakening against Hamas? And it's their methods, their tyranny that, and this is why they've, uh, you know, when you look at why they committed this act, uh, this horrific act on October 7 of war, um, it's because they want to rekindle jihad. They want to rebrand themselves and and uh, um, start the global movement. It's not they hate they, they they don't care about the Palestinians. They they want a caliphate. They want to divide the world into Muslim and non-Muslim, and and that's really what they're doing. That's why reform is the only way through this. Well, look, if I were a resident of Gaza as a let's say a non-political Muslim wanting to make a living, raise my family, be left alone. That's like saying, you know, in in America in the 1920s or 1910, an Italian could say, I'm going to stand up to the mafia. The black hand would have killed them. So everyone did what the the local mafia boss wanted done in their neighborhoods. And I think that that works the same way in Gaza, doesn't it? It does. It does. And this is why I think it's not only up to the Gazans. One of the things that we have not done is just like the Islamists and the Marxists are infusing ideas to destroy our universities and destroy who we are through their wokest identity movements. We should have a frontal 
offense of ideas into places like Gaza, into Iran. You know, what's there, there's no better anti-nuclear program in Iran than helping infuse ideas of freedom and secular liberty in Tehran and elsewhere. Same thing in Gaza. There's no better security for Israel than to empower uh, women, empower youth movements that are anti-Hamas. And I don't know how much of that we've done, and there should have been more. Well, women, I have said for about 20 years, will be the only force that can really reform Islam. Because you look at Iran before the mullahs came back to power. Iran was, people forget how advanced the nation actually is. Persia, great empire. They enjoy tremendous freedom. They were very advanced people. And then the mullahs came and basically started putting women back into the uh, the costumes of the Middle, Middle Ages, which, correct me if I'm mistaken, you are a Muslim. I am not. The uh, burqa is not even in the Quran, is it? No, it's no. not. And even the the term hijab is is uh, the hair cover. It's actually a term of modesty and uh, it's uh, uh, um, exaggerated about uh, the importance. Most of the radicalism and extreme fundamentalism comes from hadith that all, you know, 70, 80 percent of which is illegitimate and fabricated a century after the prophet died. Like oh. in Hamas's charter, Hamas's charter says kill a Jew behind every stone that sits behind every stone. And that that phrase is not in the Quran. It's in a so-called hadith that many of us have signed declarations saying that it's fabricated. We need to throw it in the garbage. It's not real. Wow. Well, that's like the Old Testament, which says, you know, stone adulterers kill homosexuals. Uh, there are there are orthodox Jews who read that stuff every day in synagogue, uh, but they don't go out and stone adulterers and kill homosexuals. Thank God. Exactly. OK, so yeah. they've kind of you you could say even the the ultra orthodox Jews have gone through a reformist sense, haven't they? I mean, I would hope. Yeah. And, you know, the key to reform, though, is the it's not just looking at the literalism and 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 looking at metaphorical interpretations, but the key to reform is going to be to end the idea of the Islamic State. Uh, and because once you end the idea of the Islamic State, Michael, you're going to end up then no longer jihad becomes no longer military because jihad is the military arm of the Islamic State. The Constitution then is no longer the Quran. Islam becomes a source of knowledge law, not the source of law. And then ultimately you have a separation of mosque and state in which the mosque becomes simply a place of worship and not a place of legislation and uh, political activism. So, you know, this is this is the central part of why our American Islamic Forum and our Muslim Reform Movement was really about saying that you can have a state of Islam in your heart between you and God, but the Islamic state needs to be a, 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 a an idea in history and, and thrown into the dustbin of history. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So you're the head of uh, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. How many members are there roughly? Uh, we've got somewhere between four and five thousand members. Our Muslim reform movement has a it's a global coalition, especially in the West, that includes 15 to 20,000 members, which wow. is a more diverse movement. Our AIFD is more right of center, if you will, more conservative. But the Muslim reform movement includes gay rights movements, women's movements, feminist movements and and uh, a lot of secular uh, humanists. How do people contact Let's say someone's listening to this podcast and they say, you know, 
I really would like to join Dr. Jasser in, in one of these groups. How do they reach them? Yeah, so our, our website is MuslimReformMovement.org, huh. MuslimReformMovement.org, and our my our organization, American Islamic Forum, is AIF, as in forum, AIFDemocracy.org, or folks can find me on Twitter, and uh, I will connect them to our network. And by the way, we also have we also have a larger coalition called Clarity Coalition, Clarity as in C-L-A-R-I-T-Y, coalition.org. That's a coalition of Muslims and non-Muslims that came together. There's so many think tanks in the counter-jihad movement, like the Middle East Forum, Center for Security Policy, Hudson Institute, mm. and, and all these others that have been doing a lot of work. And we got together in Austria last October and said, hey, let's work together where you can help lift up women's activists uh, in Iran and and uh, mm -hmm. freedom movements uh, across the Middle East and across the world. And now we're working together with a lot of these security uh, think tanks in the West and this Clarity Coalition. Astounding. I mean, you're a very busy man. I, and your specialty is nuclear cardiology. As someone who has a stent, a single stent, a couple of years ago, living in fear of tomorrow, uh, what is nuclear cardiology? So I do, uh, my primary practice is internal medicine, primary care, but I have a board in nuclear cardiology in which we do screening and testing for patients with treadmills and stress testing to look for risk of underlying coronary disease, which just like you said, uh, patients that have coronary disease that ultimately, if you find it before it finds them, and we're talking about screening for the most common condition, half a million people die of heart disease a year wow. in America. And um, if you find that they have uh, heart muscle at risk, then you refer them to a invasive cardiologist that does stenting or uh, will mitigate the risk so that uh, they don't have a myocardial infarction or a heart attack. But most of my work is in disease prevention, cancer prevention, executive health care, mm. uh, primary care. How do you do it all? I don't know how you <laughs> I'm worried for your health, Dr. Jasser. <laughs> You're doing too much. Slow down. I'm, I'm sure your father would agree with me. Yes. Yes. You, you were in practice with your father? I was. Yes. I um, my I, my last tour in the Navy was as a uh, internist to Congress at the office of the attending physician. And my dad's partner was retiring here in Phoenix, and I decided to join him. I, you know, life is about not having regrets. And I think, mm. and one of my regrets I did not want to have is uh, having not ever been able to work, even though I was on the fast track in the Navy, I was working for the, one of the leading admirals in the, in the medical corps at the office of the attending physician. And, and he, I was chief resident at Bethesda. And, but then oh. I decided, you know what, I want to work with my dad came out here and oh. uh, in the last six years of his life and practice, I was able to uh, practice with him until he passed in 2009. Rest his soul. God, God rest his soul is correct. Just think, had you stayed in the Navy and become an admiral, you could be the spokesman for Biden right now instead of Kirby. <laughs> I would have I would have been working for Fauci and he probably would have fired me based on my <laughs> positions that I said in the past three years. <laughs> Dr. Jasser, that's amazing. Uh, I have to go back to your practice because you do all this stuff. You're running the reformist movement. You're running for office. You have children. Yes, three kids. My wife and I have been married for 25 years. Our kids are 21, 19, and uh, 15. And um, 
it's it's that's that's the blessing of life the legacy we leave is a lot of this work is legacy work as you know but the 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 most important legacy is the values that we teach our kids and my two oldest are in college and i can tell you that they are in a minority as far as wanting to stand up for their beliefs standing against the woke wokeists that are collectivists that are afraid to have an opinion and gosh you know it's uh i thought it was challenging when i went to school and learned about the muslim student association and how radical they were in the in the 80s and now it's uh it's not just the muslim student association it's every leftist organization organization working with the islamists and with social media that just amplifies things millions of times beyond what i had to deal with with just the school newspapers <laughs> you know dr jasser what uh, i i know the brainwashing is complete i know the connections between the left and radical Islam, it's to them, you know, a friend, the, the enemy of my enemy, all of that stuff, you know, they join together. But how can lesbians be in favor of Hamas when if they were in the Gaza Strip? I don't think they'd have the freedom that they would have in Israel, would they? The radical no, Islam. no. And this and, and, and the amazing thing about that hypocrisy is that it's a it's at the deep the at the core of that hypocrisy is a bigotry in which they say okay my muslim friends i'm going to ignore the fact that well there's no women on the boards of any mosques in america i'm going to ignore the fact that they uh, really have books that call for the throwing of gays off of the rooftops so that they are are murdered uh, let's ignore that because you know when it comes to and you see this in the black lives matter movement in which farrakhan uh, was leading you know, uh, um, a million man march before that. And then in the Black Lives Matter movement, they were destroying our cities and our businesses. And and at the head of the women's march was a Nation of Islam devotee who was basically deeply anti-Semitic, deeply anti-American. And they just dismissed that because there's this bigotry of low expectations where, well, if they're African-American or if they're um, Muslim-American, somehow we don't hold them to the same standards. We just sort of ignore the fact that internally in their institutions, there's some deep misogyny, deep anti-Americanism, deep anti-Semitism, deep homophobia. We ignore that. And and that ignoring that and holding them to a much lesser standard than we do the rest of America shows that it's just hypocrites and, and utilitarian ethic that just the ends justify the means. But how are gays treated in Iran, for example? They, you know, first of all, Ahmadinejad and, and every president in Iran says there is there are no gays. So number one is denial of their existence. Number two is absolutely no free speech. They can't articulate um, what their identity is. Number three, if they do so, they are thrown off rooftops in a, in a literally they are thrown off root, rooftops to their death and put in the worst prisons in, in Iran um, with absolutely no civil or human rights to speak of. How does the gay movement not know this? You know, I saw a video last week of two lesbian, radical lesbians sitting in a cafe after ripping down pictures of the Jewish people who had been kidnapped, just ripped them off. And so a Jewish kid comes up and starts recording them saying, why did you rip down the posters? And they basically curse them out, go away. They start screaming at him. We can do what we want and all that. But what bewildered me was that I'm talking about very vocal out there, lesbian women, two of them. I have to say lesbian women to be specific because they could have been lesbian men in this day and age. There is gender fluidity, and I have to be very sensitive to that doctor. But these were yes, uh, biological women who were lesbians who ripped down the poster pictures of 
kidnap people and curse the person who would video them. Do they not understand how they would be treated in Gaza or Iran? Do they not understand that? Is that the problem or they don't care? I, I don't really honestly, I don't know. Well, you I mean, I can you can see pictures online of Code Pink going to Tehran and doing pictures with Khomeinists and, and leading clerics. Oh, God, no. You know, seriously. I mean, you know, so to them, they have this such a, a bigotry about the fact that they will ignore all of the medieval beliefs of these movements that they flog, that they force women to wear uh, cover their ankles or they will be hit with sticks. They ignore all these things because to them, the great Satan is America. To them, the West is the problem, the source of all evil. And they want to advance their neo-Marxist ideas. They want to advance the the ideas of, of, of a socialist uh, economy and other, you know, climate change and other collectivist uh, theories. So at the end of the day the the bottom line is is that they don't they ignore those things they they know that exists but they ignore it because the bigger battle is against freedom is against liberal classical liberalism and and that's really why we have to highlight these things savage the savage nation it's savage uncut unfiltered and raw but yet you see idiots like Susan Sarandon and others in Hollywood coming out in favor of Hamas, couching it as humanitarianism, but they're not humanitarians because nobody likes to see the pictures of dead children in Gaza. Any human being watching that is heartbroken. There's no question about it. And there's no but to it. We understand that. The only but is they're at war with Israel and Israel's fighting to survive, period. So if you use your women as children as uh, human shields, hiding them in hospitals, who do you blame? How does this end? And I don't know how this ends for, for anyone. Israel's definitely going to lose, has already lost the public relations war because of the bias of the media around the world. But let's put aside the public relations of it. Here in America, when I see hundreds of thousands of marchers, as we did recently, for Hamas, basically, because either you're for Hamas or you're for Israel. There's no two ways about it right now. Where does this go, Dr. Jasser? How, how does this evolve? Well, two ways. One is if if we don't develop an offense into their ideology, just like they're infecting with the anti-Semitic virus, with the anti-Israel virus, with the anti-American virus that they put into the minds of our kids, we need to deploy a virus into into the the mindset of tribalism in the Middle East, the mindset of uh, anti-Semitism, and 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 promote liberty, promote entrepreneurship. You know, there were micro loans given to women in Bangladesh, Pakistan, and and those loans once they became financially independent. They no longer believed in the Quranic interpretations mm. of their uncles, of their fathers, and mm. they now shed the hijab and, and dressed more liberally and more modernly and, and, and shed the interpretations of hadith that were so problematic. And they did that once they became economically independent. And I'm not saying we need to funnel money over there. What I'm saying is that the ideas of, 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 of small um, planting of, of modern thinking and entrepreneurship is part of why free markets are the key. I mean, you yeah. know, and if you look, for example, the um, um, uh, 
moral equivalency argument where they say, oh, it's, you know, both sides that that is so offensive to me as a Muslim in which to say somehow that just because the, the folks in Gaza are occupied by Hamas, that they lose moral agency, that somehow the beheading of babies, targeting of festivals and schools that Hamas intentionally did is no longer you know, somehow becomes morally equivalent to a military like the IDF having collateral damage as it goes in to get rid of its hostages and to get its hostages back so that they can get rid of the leadership of Hamas. And which has to happen as part of war that, like you said, it's 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 horrific that it has to happen, but it's part of war. You can't turn a blind just like we didn't turn a blind eye in Afghanistan to Al Qaeda launching 9-11 against us. We went there. There was collateral damage. It was a moral war and it was the right thing to do. And this is where we have to be able to have moral clarity about what is right and what is wrong. It's about civilization versus the uncivilized. Amen. And this is this is what we need to advance into their idea and their mindsets. You know, I, I mean, I could make a broad statement, which I did on Twitter about a week ago, where I said, did your father or did your grandfather cry over the innocent Germans who were uh, incinerated when uh, uh, Germany was firebombed? Or did your grandfather cry when Nagasaki was hit with a second atomic bomb? So, you know, first of all, there was no social media, number one. There was no media like we have, number two. Uh, uh, number three, uh, it's a whole different universe where because of social media, everything is equivalent. So a famous doctor such as yourself can go online and make a statement and a, and a totally uneducated idiot can counter your statement on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram with an absolutely idiotic, uneducated statement about cardiology. And he has an equal statement to you on social media. I see it all the time. So you could sit and put your hair out trying to argue with them. But someone said hell is a place where there is no reason. So, I mean, if you want to live in hell, then you go on social media and try to counter every argument that you see on social media. Sometimes I do live in hell and I argue with these people. But you can't win with ignoramuses, can you? No. And and this is why we need a larger bandwidth. I can't tell you how much it hurts as an American um, to see how much defense we play in social media and on the bandwidth. You know, as Andrew Breitbart said when he was alive, he said, politics is downstream of culture. And until <laughs> the right, until conservatives get into the get into the, you know, mash pit of cultural battle, uh, we are so missing in action as conservatives in the cultural battles online and social media, Instagram and elsewhere. Mm. Um, it's 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 really to our own detriment and to the detriment of, you know, when you look at how much our borders are hemorrhaging, you've got Hamas terrorists coming through our southern border here in Arizona, 250 miles away from our district here. And that is actually there's two borders that have been destroyed by the left. One is our primary border, our physical border, and the others are border in our conscience. They want yes. to destroy what it means to be an American. They want to destroy the identity of what holds us together, which is our social contract of constitutionalism, of, of free markets, 
of the Bill of Rights, free speech. As a physician, I saw my profession weaponized during the pandemic in which all of a sudden physicians who often I can't get to make a decision in recommending things to patients. All of a sudden from Fauci on down, they were demanding every business be closed, vaccines be pushed and mandated, masks be man. All these things were being done. And I was thinking that somehow it was back in Syria where my grandfather escaped and my father escaped and got asylum here legally was to escape that stuff and it was being done here so you see social media becoming an engine of propaganda and unfortunately the good people um who hold the truth are being drowned out and it's we need to step up and i'm not saying you need to shut that down but we need to have more you know defeat bad speech with good speech you're very passionate i feel like moving to arizona to vote for you but Actually, I don't even think I don't think I even have to move to Arizona to vote for you. I think I could do a mail in ballot and make believe I live there. I'm just joking. I wouldn't do it. But apparently that's what they do all over the country now. But let's go back to the main point before I let you get back to the important work of that, what you're really doing here about trying to reform Islam, save people's lives and run your own life. Can Islam be reformed in the United States focused only on this country after what I've seen over these last few days, the marches? Is there a hope to reform Islam? All the scarves, where'd they come from? Who made them so quickly? Yeah, I mean, this is a mobilization of folks that uh, are looking for an excuse to be mobilized. It's the same Soros, Rent-A-Mob, some of them uh, answer coalition folks that were demonstrating after the Iraq war and during the Afghanistan war and on. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the Islamist movement and the I was saying this long before the Arab awakening, Michael. I was saying that basically the Islamists are 30, 40 percent of the Muslim population, and that leaves 60 percent. Now, 30 percent of 1.8 billion is a huge number, and they dominate they dominate the majority of Muslim majority governments. But here in the West, we can do things that people are paying with their lives as the women's movements in Iran, that the most effective thing to put the Iranian regime, the theocrats on their heels, the men in beards and robes on their heels has been the women's movements of tens of thousands on the streets of Tehran, Qom, and every town in Iran. And the future in America, I think, of Islamic interpretations, Muslims can be reformed. Muslims can look at what it is about Americanism, liberty, that we love and that we appreciate and then begin to infuse that into the ideas of our own faith. Because right now, Islam is 1,444 years old and most faiths have gone through some massive reformations during that time period. And, you know, in the West, Christianity went through a very bloody 30 years war in which 8 million people died in that 30 years. And every country in Europe was involved in massive revolutions in which millions died. And I think that's where we are in the Muslim world right now is there's going to be a very bloody period over the next few decades until the theocrats are defeated and you start to have an awakening of a personal faith separated from theocracy. And that's why, to me, Americanism is the answer to this. A country that defeated theocracy, celebrates a belief in God, is under God, but not under one interpretation of Christianity, but under God as a moral compass, as a faith Judeo-Christian tradition. And we in, in Islam, I think, can do a similar type of understanding of the role of government and the separation and the prevention of the establishment of religion. Is there a reformist movement in any other country but America? 
Um, our Muslim reform movement has folks writing in India, in Pakistan, in Iran. Um, and I think you're right. The the substance of the reform movement, I think, is the greatest in the West. The reality of the reform movement is the greatest in Iran, in Pakistan, where they suffer the most. And actually in Arabic areas, in Syria, in Egypt, for example, there's huge movements against the Islamists of the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Azhar. Um, so because they know what it's like to live under theocracy there, they are much more motivated because those guys are running the government. Here in the West, it's tough to get a fight to light a fire under the feet of Muslims who say, well, we're thankfully living under this Judeo-Christian yes. government that, you know, at least they're not they're only running the mosque. They're not running our government, huh. except maybe in Dearborn or in a few other places where they are a majority, the Islamists. But, you know, this is the importance is that in America. Um, we have the tools and the environment, but not the not the urgency that we need to have. Savage. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. How do people, if they want to join, in addition to voting for you in the 4th Congressional District in Arizona, and I pray they do, uh, American Islamic Forum for Democracy, how do people reach you there? Our website is AIFdemocracy.com, AIFdemocracy.org, and MuslimReformMovement.org. And also find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser uh, on Twitter. Dr. Zudi Jasser, Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. The word itself, your first name, by the way, Zudi, what does it mean? So zuhud is a word that means devoted to God huh. and content content through that personal devotion is what zuhud is. And I think there is a similar word in Hebrew, actually. That's why I There's am. a lot of overlap. Yes. Because if I listen to Arabic being spoken on certain shows that I watch, when I hear a reference to Jew, it's zuhud, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yahud. Well, that's Yahud, actually. Yahud. But it's in a quick speech, in a quick conversation, I can easily make the mistake. You probably yes. be mistaken for a crypto Jew. Be very careful, Dr. Jasser. They're going to accuse you of working for the Zionists uh, in America. You're doing great work. And I have to ask a, a very touching question for me and a very real one. And, and I don't mean to, to be alarmist. I mean, you are a threat to these fundamentalists. Do you live with any sense of uh, threat in your life from them in America? Well, you know, our, our launch video for our campaign at uh, um, Z4AZ.com, our launch video talks about courage. Um, and, you know, I think courage is something that people can say about someone, but not about yourself and may, maybe said posthumously. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you only, you know, what is our legacy? Our legacy is that uh, uh, it should not be hard. So many patients see me on programs like this and say, thank you, Zudi, for doing what you're doing. And I say, right. listen, this should not be hard. I, I'm not. These are my beliefs. These are th this is the, the facts of the reality of what is right and wrong. And I want history to basically say that I stood up for this country. I stood up for um, a faith that I believed uh, would fight against anti-Semitism, would fight against uh, um, bigotry, uh, especially against uh, uh, the Jewish people and and uh, other minorities that have been aggrieved by majority Muslim populations. So, you know, to me, yes, we've been attacked. I've, I've uh, back in 2012, after the Syrian revolution started, uh, Al-Qaeda in Syria took my 
my work and my name and put it all over Arabic sites on their uh, oh jihadi God. websites. And we had to get some increased security uh, for our family here locally. But oh, uh, at the end of the day, you know, thank God nothing happened um, and um, had good uh, intel on what was going on. But, you know, listen, I'm still living in the lap of luxury, Mike. Michael, it's uh, my my family's living three miles from chemical attacks from the Assad regime in Aleppo and in Damascus. I've got cousins uh, oh. that uh, are living in in an open prison in Syria and oh. um, and have lost uh, a ton of family as a result of that war that now is just uh, fueled by Iran, fueled by the worst of humanity. Mm. I remember my grandfather, Zudi Jasser, used, he said he came to America because he just sort of threw his hands up and said, I can't fix what's happening in Syria. The Syrians don't want to do anything. You know, the Syrian people and every people deserve the government they have. Oh, and that's oh. a phrase that's been said before by many. And uh, at the time, I agreed with it. Now, I wish he was alive to see what the Syrians tried to do. And between Iran and the radical ISIS Islamists and Brotherhood, the normal people in Syria, who Syria was the most diverse country in the Middle East between Druze, Jews, Christians, Muslims, secularists, uh, uh, and all the different faiths, Shia. It was very diverse. And now it basically, you know, has turned into a post revolution. One of the most advanced cities on the planet. Beautiful yep. city by what I have seen in the, in the 50s is what I'm re referring to. And look what's happened all over the world. Now I'm going to ask you a medical question since I'm going to take advantage of your expertise. So um, I watch different blood chemistries. One of them that I watch that the doctors don't even order is C-reactive protein, which is an indicator of inflammation. Right. Before, before I had my cardiac event in 09, it had shot up to 8.9 and my doctor missed it. So I've he just didn't see it. He's a great guy. He's a friend of mine. But, you know, look, they have a million patients. So. Ever since then, I've been watching my CRP levels. Well, they've been going down ever since. They're now at 1.2. Do you, as a cardiologist, think that inflammation, as indicated by CRP, is, a, is an important uh, measure of potential risk for a coronary, coronary event? You know, there's a lot of very good literature, even in, in some of the best journals, New England Journal and uh, a few others that and JAMA that have talked about high sensitivity CRP as being connected to inflammation. And you're right. Uh, um, we we then superdose patients with uh, the there are some anti-inflammatories, but the main ones are statins and then also vitamin B12 uh, and B vitamins, B complex and folic acid. So if you suppress the homocysteine pathway, you can then decrease inflammation. And, you know, if you look at, I've got patients that are 98 years old that have the worst coronaries, but their coronaries are almost fossilized at 98, but never cracked and were never unstable. Huh. So the theory of inflammation is not only do you have to have the plaque to have a heart attack, but it has to be unstable and inflamed and cracked. Huh. So that cracking causes the clotting. That's why aspirin and blood thinners are so helpful because most of the really bad things that happen like heart attacks and strokes are related to clotting, not related to bleeding. So inflammation we think is part of the, you know, the undercurrent that can lead to the unstable plaques. But the studies of decreased CRP you know, the statins really, as much as they get a bad name out there for muscle problems, other things, it's really one of the primary mechanisms to decrease inflammation.
Well, I <laughs> we can go on forever, but I tried statins 10 years before I had the event and couldn't take them because my muscles were cramping. So I told the doctor I can't use them, blah, blah, blah. I should have. But then we found one that I can use and I've been using it ever since. But uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a useful tool for lowering. I also take fish oils, tons of vitamin C, vitamin E. I, I love the Shoot Brothers work from the 1950s, vitamin E. Anyway, it's fascinating to speak with you. And um, I appreciate it. It's a great honor for me to speak with you again. You must be doing something right because you look 20 years younger than you actually are. <laughs> Thank you. It's exercise. Every day, no matter how busy I am, I try to make sure I get to the gym and uh, uh, do at least an hour plus of uh, some type of exercise while I an read hour. and take in other things. Yeah. You, drink, you don't drink alcohol? No, sir. Never. See, that's my downfall. Two glasses of wine. I <laughs> said to my doctor, I said, I can't give up the wine. So he said to me, he said, well, it's a natural anesthetic. <laughs> I said, yes. For the three hours that I'm kind of high on the alcohol, I don't fear death. So I get three hours of relief in 24 hour period of not fearing I'm going to die. Any minute. The, anyway. the, uh, the Jewish doctor I took over a practice from when I joined my dad, his partner was uh, Jewish and he wrote me a prescription. He said one glass of wine a day. He said, I've read the Sharia law and you can you can take alcohol if it's prescribed by your doctor as, as a medicine. And he said, you need to raise your HDL. So here's have one glass a day. I'm like, I, I don't think that's exactly right. <laughs> I don't think that's what it was written for. Well, I, I may as well conclude with a bad joke. So I had a Muslim acquaintance who owned a Persian restaurant in San Francisco. This was before COVID and all. And uh, I came by once on a Yom Kippur, which is a day of fasting. So he looked at me, his name was Mo. And he said, you know, Michael, we have a saying uh, where we come from. I think he was from Persia. And he said, when... Jews fast, Muslims starve. I thought it was one of the funniest things I ever heard, meaning so many Jews go to restaurants. I mean, that was a joke that only Jews can understand, I think. When Jews fast, Muslims starve. It's funny. I try to put it on social media and people don't even have a sense of humor anymore. They don't get it. They don't get it. Yep. And uh, yeah, our fast in Ramadan is uh, is very similar. You know, I think this is where Muslims need to get back to the core of why we do the things it's a personal pietistic faith that's that's what we should hold on to and the political global faith things need to be defeated and reformed so Dr. god bless you Yasser, it's amazing to uh, have spoken with you today muslimreformmovement.org american islamic forum for democracy or you're on twitter at it's it's uh dr zudi jasser on twitter yes sir Amazing. And our I campaign would... site is our campaign site is uh, z4az.com, z4az.com. Arizona's 4th Congressional District. I wish you the best of luck, and I pray to God you wind up in Congress to counter the uh, Rashida Talabs uh, and others like her. Thank you very much, and thanks for the great service that you are performing for the world. I truly appreciate your being with us today. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thank Appreciate you very it. very much. Good luck with yep. everything. Bye now. Thank you. Savage. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this. If you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content 
from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.